Well, actually, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. All right. Because it's it's starting now. Okay. So it's on. It's all good. Uh, so you use the word tendencies, and that's kind of a key word. Okay. In fact, the uh, uh, it goes with a pair uh, of keywords, and that is underlying tendencies. And when the Buddha is talking about underlying tendencies, which is the translation out of the Pali, um, it fits very, very closely with our instincts, our instinctual behavior. Yeah, it's it's really amazing that the the four of them fit right in together, and yeah. so this is actually quite an important teaching then of the Buddha, of understanding these underlying tendencies, mm-hmm. so that we can catch them when they come up in their various forms, and we can recognize it for what it is. Yeah. All right, so that's the practice, in fact, that um, going back to the quality of the very first noble truth is there is dukkha or dukkha exists. And a way of stating that is something like, ah, there it is. Or this is it. This is dukkha, okay? This is the kind of way that we're uh, looking at it as if we are um, doing an investigation, looking for something. An example that I have seen in my past way in the dark past is someone on their hands and knees on the carpet looking for a contact lens. Mm -hmm. And then they find it. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay, and so, uh, and they feel great relief because now they found the uh, found what they were were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in that regard, it's kind of backwards than from what we're talking about here, but it is in fact of an investigation to find out that which is unwholesome, so that it can be removed leaving whatever you want left that is wholesome. Yeah. Okay. And that these underlying tendencies often leave us with unwholesome stuff. Yeah. Now, there's two qualities of these unwholesome uh, uh, aspects of the underlying tendencies. Well, first, let's look at it from this way. The underlying tendencies or instincts actually is what keeps each individual person alive and has what kept every individual alive as long as they did live throughout all of humanity so that this instinct, the self-preservation instinct, is in fact what keeps alligators alive. It's the will to live, all right? Now... Uh, that's actually a survival mechanism. Yeah. But it is only needed in times of stress. And yet, people have that on 
way too often in the sense of false positives. They see danger where danger doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like getting fired from a job is really not dangerous at all. But look at the grief people go through in the sense of danger of thinking that, oh, I've lost my job. I've lost everything. Oh, my career is ruined. Oh, I won't eat. Oh, poor me. Because they have so identified with the job that I am the job. And when the job is lost, that means I am lost too, basically. And that's when this uh, self-preservation instinct is having a false positive. Because, in fact, nobody dies from or almost never. And, in fact, you could say that the causality of the (laughs) loss of the life was more from the worry of the loss of the life due to the loss of the job than the actual loss of the job. Nobody dies because they've lost a job. Yeah. But everybody feels like it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, if you understand it in that sense, then you can understand that, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of little false positives. A whole lot of them. Yeah, a whole lot of false positives, which means now that we see danger in many places where there really is no danger. And that prevents us from feeling safe and secure and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And this is just an underlying tendency. It's Mm -hmm. natural, it's part of our makeup, it's our survival mechanism. Yeah, but it needs to be trained. It needs to be completely understood so that you can get the value out of it that it does bring to the table without giving all of these false positives that make us uncomfortable and unhappy. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense that, yes, there is these instincts that. Um, and remember, that's the job. The job of the self-preservation instinct is to warn you of danger. So, in fact, it's doing its job, just like the dog that's out barking all night. He's out doing his job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes it because there's no. Now, if if the burglar comes, they want the dog to bark. And then he really is doing his job. So basically what we're saying here is the dog barking all night is just doing his job too well. (laughs) And not doing it mindfully. Mm. Not doing it selectively. He's just out doing it, okay? How many people do their actual jobs that way too? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Good point, exactly. So... um, The way of looking at these instincts, then, is to understand that they are also associated with the four modes of clinging that happen in each each mind moment. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, with with this understanding, then we can begin to know what to look for. It's like we're beginning to. Uh, 
develop our own personal no-fly list. Mm-hmm. Okay, like mm-hmm. that particular feeling doesn't fly. Okay, mm-hmm. he doesn't. He's he's on the no-fly list, and so uh, those kind of unwholesome thoughts are not going to get any airtime. Mm-hmm. That's the way of thinking about it, because these are natural instincts that come. But there's more to it than that, and that is is that because all of us human beings grew out of a society that ran with this, that means that much of the learned behavior that's passed down from generation to generation is nothing more than the reinforcement of these underlying tendencies. Mm. That ever if a group of people put to rest one of the false positives that this society has, they are unlikely to pick it back up. In the sense that once you understand something correctly, you can pass that information on and on and on. Yeah. But so long as everybody is ignorant and stupid, nobody trusts anybody else and everybody's out suffering. Okay. But in very heavy situations, you can see that that certain families. Let us say it this way, that a person who is likely to hit his wife or beat his kids. Was that happened to him when he was little, that Mm -hmm. violence begets violence in that really biblical sounding way, in the sense that it passes down from generation to generation. So whatever Papa did wrong, I'm going to be just like Papa when I'm his age. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm going to behave just like him unless I wake up. So a lot of this instinctual behavior then is passed down from generation to generation as learned behavior as well as the fact that it fits right in there with those instincts or those underlying tendencies. So you've got a double whammy now to deal with. Mm. Okay. And and the way that we deal with that double whammy is basically come to understand that all of the stuff that we've learned from other people, especially the stuff that fit in with the instinctual ways of doing things, is to be examined, seen for what it is, and put on the no-fly list. Okay, and each person has to deal with their own mix or variety of, of that kind of stuff. For sure. but, ba- but basically, this is what the practice of Anapanasati is all about, is to learn to start watching and inspecting the kind of thoughts we have. Okay. To judge them, to put them in one of two classifications. One uh, is, go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's just the reason why I, I, I'm so urgent when asking questions, I don't want to forget. But um, um, it's that, um, so how, like, for example, you nurture yourself with, you know, not letting those instincts take over. Um, so how do you? essentially self-talk to like how do you because like 
what if like for example i'm doing a bunch of drugs or something right um we will talk about that later let's get started first okay okay no problem you're you're like an infant just newborn laying on the flat of its back not quite well ready to get up and crawl yet asking how am i going to run the marathon (laughs) okay we need to get you up and walking first (laughs) no problem no problem and that's exactly what we're going to talk about how can we get up and start walking and that Mm. is anapanasati mindfulness of breathing and we're going to start guarding what thoughts we have We're going to start watching the kind of thoughts we have, and we're going to start making changes to those thoughts quite quite soon. There are a lot of meditation practitioners who have the idea uh, that um, we're we're supposed to just watch and note what the mind is doing. But it's very, very clear in the suttas, as well as a major teaching of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, that no, we've got to make a change. We've got to see something and then recognize that it needs to be changed immediately. Yeah, that's important. Right. Because if we just leave it the way that it is, we might spiral down into some dark night of the soul or whatever. Just get all all worried and depressed. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that's what I used to do is just meditate in, in, in these feelings and it would just I would just be enhancing the feelings without really changing anything, you know. Like mm-hmm. these negative feelings. So it, w- it wasn't getting me anywhere, really. Um well not anywhere, but you know what I mean. Actually what happens is is that huh, along the way almost intuitively, eventually, without being taught how to do it, the people who were in that dark night of the soul work their way through it and come out bright and shining on the other end if they are lucky. Yeah. (laughs) But if they're not lucky, they just stay stuck in the dark night of the soul. Yeah, that's why I started seeking more because... I realized, like, at some point, I realized I'm like, this is just toxic. You know, this isn't getting me nowhere. That's all right. Well, let's talk about how we can, in fact, get up off the flat of our back because we're (laughs) we're we're stuck, right? No problem. And this is how we do it. It's with the first off, the number one skill to learn to develop is the skill of sati. And that is is to wake up and to pay attention to what we're doing mm-hmm. right now. In, uh, and in, that's done in, in several different directions. But we need to start with one particular direction. And so we're going to start in the sense of when I, when I take, uh, when I take a, a little bit of sati, the first thing I'm going to do is to think about taking a deep breath and relaxing. Okay, the whole idea then of relaxing 
is in fact changing things from that critical-minded, um, instinctual behavior into the fact that right now there is no danger. I mean, really, look around your room. There's no alligators. There's no crocodiles. There are no uh, python snakes. There's no gorillas. There's no animals there to bug you at all. And so right now, you can just say, well, let's feel really safe and secure right now because we really are. The reality is, is that everything is really okay right now. Okay. And we do that with taking a breath and not worrying about all the things that can go wrong because right now, none of those things are happening. And we can enjoy the fact that we've at least gotten enough wisdom to get here to now, and now I'm safe. Mm -hmm. This is the important quality is, is to start changing our normal thought process, which is normally thinking of jobs that need to be done, thinking of work that isn't finished, thinking of the conversations we want to have, and all back and forth between liking and not liking. But the reality of the moment is, is that everything is okay. Yeah. Everything's fine. And so talking like this is actually uh, an aspect of, of the Anapanasati. It's step 10, we call it, of Anapanasati. And it's to gladden the mind. The first talk is to take an inventory. What was I thinking about? Was I thinking about writing an email? Oh, never mind. That email can wait. I don't have to do it now. And so off the email goes, out of the mind. It'll come up later. I may or may not do it then. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to sit here and think about doing the email and then not do the email because that's just waste of precious moments of glorious here now. Let's just have those few moments of glorious here now without thinking about the email or whatever. Yeah. Okay. What about when doing an activity? Is there... Well, let's talk, talk about doing activities now. Let's talk about for a while stopping and practicing not doing any activity. No. no. Let's become secluded from those activities for right now. I guess that's where I find myself. It's just, it's still such a fear of like, not even just, sometimes I try not to make it a fear, but it's like, um, it's this fear of not doing things. Like, if I choose to to still live in, in society... I know. I can see that in you. That's why I'm talking about it. I'm speaking directly to what I can get from you. Is, yes, you have a fear that you've got to get it done. Yeah. You've got to work to do. Okay? You're obligated. All of that kind of stuff. This was drilled into you in kind of in his own violence. 
And so now that you've picked up this set of rules and, and uh, supposed tos, you are very critical of yourself about getting things done. And so when you're sitting there, letting yourself have a moment of not doing anything, here those thoughts are, oh, but you've got work to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I try, I try to at least, like, when I do activities, let's say, I try to at least be constructive, or, like, uh, you know, talk to myself kindly and, and, and not, you know, uh, you know, just talk to myself kindly into sometimes not, you know, in a way not being negative for doing the activity, though. But I feel like that still isn't, that isn't part of the practice, obviously. Like, okay. I still need to take the moment to stop. But, you know, I guess sometimes I do feel cornered into having to do things, you know? Court. Yes, that's exactly how we train our children, is we corner them into doing things. We give them obligations. We make sure that they do it. We'll chase them down. Put down your cell phone and do your homework. Clean up your room. There's all kinds of obligations that we get as children, and then as we grow older, we merely change the um object of the obligation and what i'm referring to now is the actual feeling of the obligation you feel obliged you've got to go do that it's something you're supposed to do right yeah i see it's the underlying feeling and attitude right it's the underlying tendency then that um uh, that fits right in with Actually, the real underlying tendency down at the instinctual level is what we call the herding instinct or what we also refer to as our sociology. In other words, we all do feel a very deep connection to other human beings. But in this regard, what's happened to you is is that that feeling of belonging and well-being has been usurped into you're a lackey, you're a servant, you've got to go do what you're told to do in order to stay in the house. Mm-hmm. If exactly. you don't do what you're told to do, you're going to get kicked out. Okay? Yeah. And, and, what, and what you really need to understand is, is that you're not the lackey, you're not the servant, you're not the go-getter boy in your family. You're in charge. You're the housekeeper, or you're the householder. You're the one who is in charge here. You're the one who is master of your own universe, emperor of your own pile of dirt. Mm-hmm. That's the change that needs to be made, and that change is also the feeling of well-being. That, in fact, finding those feelings of being obligated to do stuff and recognize that right now, I'm not obligated to do anything. Let, let me put down that 
sense and feeling of obligation for a moment and relax. Because I'm really, actually, re in reality, right now, not obligated to anybody for anything. Mm -hmm. There is no one here asking me questions. There's no place to go and nothing to do, and I can just relax. And stop feeling like I'm driven around to do stuff. Yeah, it's driven. And in a way, I start turning this practice into the same kind of thing. And I noticed that too, you know? Like turning it into like, I guess, another thing I need to be doing, you know? <laughs> That's exactly right. People take up meditation because they've heard this, that, and the other thing about it. And what they do is when they take it up, they take it up as yet another obligation. I guess it's because it's like, here we go again. Um, here comes the emotions and all the pain that you gotta, you have to take, in, you know, awareness and control, not control, but of like. You know, you're in a way right that if we get all fired up and go out and get get going and get that job done and have our mind put on that job at least now we're not looking at how bad we feel about it exactly it's so it's, when we sit down and not do anything then all those bad feelings are right there and so we have to deal with them too and how do we deal with them never mind right now i don't have to feel bad I know how to feel bad. I've been feeling bad for so good. I'm so good at feeling bad. I'm an expert at it. Right now, we're going to practice feeling good for a while. <laughs> That's true. That makes sense. That's what we're trying to do here is trying to practice feeling good. Practice a sense of well-being. In the Pali, the word is sukha. And the word sukha is actually... No. Hello? Dang. Is it Amarato? Okay, so you're back. All right. Okay. Yeah, it looks like that it cut off here and the internet went down for a few seconds, but it's back up now. Um, so anyway, this word sukha that we started talking about, the word sukha is just the opposite of dukkha. And when you see that all of these feelings of obligation, all of these feelings of uh, uh oughts and woulds and shoulds and obligations and all of that kind of stuff that has driven us to work is actually doesn't go away. Those feelings don't go away when when we're doing the work. We're just not paying attention to those feelings. Mm. Yeah. But when we stop paying attention to the work we're doing, those feelings will come back. This is actually... Um, what the Buddha refers to when he's talking about 
being able to get into solitude, that this is an important point. And he gave uh, an analogy, and the analogy is what I call the log in the bog. Okay. Okay, that a tree has fallen in the in the swamp. It's laying there. Um, possibly, uh, the older it gets, the more likely it is to be completely waterlogged and submerged. Now, in the time of the Buddha, they had um, uh, professional fire makers. Now, making a fire is really, really easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in the time of the Buddha, fires were difficult to, to make. And because of that, uh, individual people were designated as, you know, that was their profession, was they would go around starting fires for people who had lost the fire that they had. Okay. So could one of these professional fire makers go into the bog and set a log on fire? Yeah. The answer is no, because it's waterlogged. Mm-hmm. And so can then they haul that log out of the bog up onto the shore. Now can uh, they light it on fire? Yeah, yeah. The answer is no, not yet, not because it's still waterlogged, right? But if you leave it in the sun, both the gravity will pull the, 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 the bog, the water down towards the gravity as well as the sunshine will start to dry out the, uh, the top, the outer surface. And so after a short time, you can actually set that log on fire. Maybe not the whole log, but when the part that you can set on fire will help get the rest of the log ready to, to burn, you see. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly the practice of meditation also, is that we want to get away from it all, get away from the world, get away from doing, get away from all activities, including all of our toys, our laptops, our uh games are um, everything, Uh, books, and this is what they do in retreats, is all of that stuff is taken away, and so um, the the individual then is left only to deal with their mind, and a lot of people then are not given the kind of skills that are needed to deal with their mind in the sense that all they're told to do is just to keep coming back to the breath and don't worry about any of those thoughts that you're having. Well, that's kind of hard to do, especially when people have not been doing that. Um, Other techniques will say, oh, you've got to watch all of those thoughts very carefully. Note them well. Notice what's going on. But really the practice that we're talking about is much different than that in the sense that we're on guard here to make sure that the kind of thoughts that we are having are wholesome, valuable, decent, worthwhile thoughts to have. That this is how we begin to practice, is we begin to practice right away from getting all the way through that dark night of the soul without ever having to go through it. Yeah, we just start right from the very beginning of let's go up, let's go out, let's no not go down in the end. Yeah, makes sense. 
Okay. So, whenever the thoughts that come from the um, underlying tendencies, our thought base, our uh, feeling base, all of our memories and all of that kind of stuff is to be examined moment by moment. And in fact, you can wake up with sati and say, you know something? I feel really good. Wow. I'm really glad I woke up right now because right now I feel really good. And if I hadn't woke up, I would have missed it. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are, third noble truth. Yeah, I feel really good. Glad I reminded myself to wake up and see how I felt, see what's going on. But generally people, especially when they're away from everything and they're practicing, when they do wake up, they generally wake up to the plans that they're making or how much trouble it was to get to this place, this retreat, or all kinds of stuff like that. Instead of just sitting down and relaxing. Very few people go to these retreats with the idea, wow, I got nothing to do and no place to go for 10 days. Everything's taken care of and all I have to do is just sit here and chill. (laughs) Most people not only don't even think like that, they couldn't even if that was their plan because inside they're not yet chill. So in fact, by going to these retreats, that's like taking the log out of the bog, but guess what? The log drug all of that bog in there with him. Mm-hmm. And so there's a drying out process, okay? Yeah. But uh, the way that we're looking with this is is that we're going to put a lot of sunshine on this thing. We're going to put a lot of sunshine on it. We're going to start changing the way we're not going to be dealing with all of these dark thoughts about how bad things are. We're going to get really bright. We're going to come up. We're going to be in the sunshine. We're going to see things clearly. We're going to be investigating. We got our um, uh, Mirsham pipe and the big magnifying glass out and a great big spotlight. And we're looking at what's going on inside the mind. And when we find something, that's a clue. Aha, caught you. Got that one. All right. And so all of this has then to do with the development of a really, really good attitude. Rather than being oppressed by these thoughts, rather than feeling bad about the obligations that we've got. Now we feel really good about it in the sense that we can feel like, hey, man, I don't have to do that anymore. Wow, what a relief. I don't have to go. I don't have to feel like that. I can feel the way I want to feel. And so this is the kind of right attitude. Now, if you look at what I'm talking about here, we start off with right view of being able to see reality as it is in the sense of what is unsatisfactory and not. Then we talked about sati, to wake up. Then we talked about the right effort of changing the mind to the right kind of thoughts. And we wind up in right attitude of, I can handle this. I can do this. And so this is actually the Eightfold Noble Path of the Buddha that we're following here. Mm. By doing this Anapanasati. Mm. And so the Anapanasati then takes us in the direction of, and getting us fully in touch with the body, with the breathing, relaxing the body, 
with the feelings, the feelings uh, that we want to have, the feelings of um, joy, the feelings of uh, contentment, the feelings of security and peace, the feeling of well-being. This is what we're developing, a sense yeah. of well-being. Yeah, I, I, I do get discouraged sometimes by how much I feel bad more than I can make myself feel good. I know it's like baby steps, but. Like yeah, really yeah, all right, but you're waking up to it. Now, the job is, the question is, can you, when you catch yourself feeling bad, change it? Never mind, I don't have to think about that. I saw it. In fact, that's the thing that's really most important is the wake up is, aha, I see you. I see you, bad feelings. I see you, Mr. Turd. I see you, Myra. Uh, yeah. Okay. I see you, Mr. Bad Feelings. I see you, Mr. Obligation. I see you coming, trying to mess up my life. What is Myra? Myra is actually uh, this whole world, this, this mind. We'll talk about it more. Okay. Uh, uh, it's got many different definitions to it. Right now we're talking about obstructions of the mind. That's the Myra. Okay. okay. That, and anything that is an obstruction when it keeps you from that sense of well-being. It's obstructing like you. Physical pain, sometimes physical pain. Physical pain is not uh, it's in and of itself a destruction of the sense of well-being. It's the attitude about it, and the attitude that we have is calling it pain. Which means we don't like it. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> okay. If if we were friends with it, oh yeah, I've had that before. Been there, done that. In fact, to tell you, I've got a, a broken rib that has never healed. And from time to time, it pops out. In fact, I when I do generally deep deep breathing, it'll go click, 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 <laughs> click. I've showed it to the doctors. We've done X-rays and. I'm fine with it. It's got no problem. Sometimes it gives very sharp pain, but I know exactly what to do about that. And that is to raise the arm. And if I can grab something very high and pull down, it'll pop it back into place. Yeah. It's no problem. Not an issue. But when I talk about it, most people say, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, the answer is, is that ribs are really, really hard to heal. I bet. <laughs> what are they going to do? Go surgery and, and put a splint on it so that it. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a it's not a problem. Mosquito bites are not a problem. I know Westerners who come to Thailand and stay in the area that I'm staying here and they leave because they can't stand the mosquitoes. They don't like them. I, I can probably relate a little bit. <laughs> okay. But we got them wired. We know exactly what to do. We got everything covered. No other problem. 
A mosquito bite is not an issue. Okay. It's not something to be scratched. <laughs> okay. So, in a way, you can think of pain like that. But also, think of what we're practicing here is, in fact, the sitting down cross-legged with the back stretched uh, 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 vertical or straight is actually intended for comfort. Imagine that you lived in a land where nobody had any chairs. Yeah. And that's about half of Thailand. About a half of Thailand, the houses don't have any furniture. They sit on the floor. Everybody sits on the floor. Yeah. Okay. So they're just talking about sit down and be comfortable. Mm. Now, Westerners aren't used to sitting on the floor. They're used to sitting in chairs. And so when they sit on the floor, they get uncomfortable. Yeah. I but see. with practice, you can get on the floor and be comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would not recommend that you sit on the floor in uncomfortable posture and call that meditation. When we're looking, in fact, for comfort. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm very stiff, so sometimes I, it, it is like uncomfortable, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I've been like stretching, you know, practicing with it. So. All right. Well, here's then the thing that we're going to look for is to get comfortable, to get relaxed. That is, in fact, aspect of Anapanasati is to relax the body, to relax the mind. Mm -hmm. To come out of all of that monkey mind and just be able to sustain a feeling of everything is okay, a sense of well-being. Yeah. And whenever all of those thoughts start up, we're going to watch it. We're going to catch it. We're going to say, aha, I see you. And then we're going to come back with nice, wholesome, easygoing thoughts. Over and over and over again, we practice having very easygoing thoughts. Thoughts of what's happening right now. Thoughts of nurturing. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. What a marvelous day it is. When it's cool weather, oh, I like cool weather. When it's hot weather, yeah, I can do that one too. Doesn't matter whether it's hot or cold. Everything's okay. So good. This is how we practice. This is what we call gladdening the mind. And... We're not talking about affirmations in the sense of telling our things that are not true. We're actually saying things that actually are true. We just don't let ourselves actually experience that it's true because we've been telling ourselves all these fibs and all these lies all of this time about obligations and things to do and things are not good enough and we've got to fix this place it's all busted up and broken down and what a bad government it is and we've got all of this that and the other thing yeah you know and in fact no everything's okay yeah i feel like a retreat would be nice though <laughs> pardon 
I said, I feel like a retreat would be really lovely. Well, I'm inviting you to do one right now. Maybe <laughs> it doesn't last 10 days, but can it last 10 seconds? How about 20 seconds? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're looking at. This is get into seclusion for just little short periods of time. The more often you do it, the better. I would recommend that you would start at maybe 10 minutes at most, but do it many times a day. Yeah. And just sit and relax. <sighs> Everything's okay. And don't worry too much about a formal sitting. This long lasting, you're, you're enduring something. You're putting up with something that you don't really want to do, but it's good for you. That's yeah. not the kind of meditation we're practicing. We're practicing something that's good for you right now, and you know it. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. This feels good. That, in fact, that's very um, uh, a key part of the teaching of the Buddha, that this practice is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end, when it's taught correctly, mm. when it's phrased right, okay? And yet many, many people, when they start meditation, it's not so good in the beginning. What does that mean? It means it's not what the Buddha was teaching, just by that simple point. If it's not good right from the get-go, it's not what the Buddha teaches. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. So let's get get into those good feelings right from the get-go to remember that your job is to be on guard to allow wholesome thoughts and not to allow the unwholesome thoughts that have to do with obligations, work to do, things that need to be done, the resentment that you have for doing that. And you can just drop all of that dialogue that there's nobody here asking you to do anything. You're under no obligation. Ooh. Now, that's a nice thing to say. Got nobody asked me nothing. I'm, I'm okay for now. Okay. <laughs> and so we need to practice that over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we have been practicing being under obligation. Yeah. There is like one thing that I find myself, it's always, it always comes back to like being preventative um, as much as possible with my health. And that's why I always, uh, because I do, like I did, I, I guess I do and did suffer from, from health effects and stuff like that, that hurt. And um, I'm always focused on my health. And um, it's just something that it's like, oh, I, like it's a future thing like i need a and like that's another thing with like you know not working and all that i need i need the money to feed myself the proper nutrition and all this that that's all the package of lies that you have been told yeah and so long as you're in that mindset you're obligated but mm -hmm. for a few minutes every day Many several times a day, 
you're going to come out of that obligation into a better, more relaxed reality. And then you can begin to see that, in fact, I don't know of anyone who starves to death because they're not working hard enough. There are people who do starve, but the circumstances that they, they're starving in, believe me, they're working really, really hard to get something to eat. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you're not really working really, really hard to get something to eat. No. But you're under the delusion that you've got to work in order to eat. Well, guess what? There are hundreds of millions of people on this planet that don't work and do eat. It, it, it it's that but it's also it's more like if i don't work um i won't be able to pay for more quality food because sure I, you know i can i can eat um anything i understand the predicament that you find yourself in and that over time perhaps with my help you'll find your way out of that predicament the question is, is can you find your way out of it even momentarily? You're looking at it from the really big picture rather than let's look at it from just getting started. Let's not try to run a marathon. Let's just get walking first. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but I did want to mention that many, many millions of people do not work and they eat. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I know I won't starve, but would I get that quality expensive? Because quality means more expensive. That's where it's like. Uh huh. So maybe through meditation, you come to a sense of well being, then you won't be looking for well being by having expensive goodies. And you have the sense of well-being that you were looking for all along, and now you don't go out buying goodies. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> okay. Sure. Well, let's start developing a sense of, of well-being. Let's yeah. start developing that. Let's start developing that sukha. You're being able to tell yourself, everything's okay. Everything is fine. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah. No place to go and nothing to do. And the spring comes and the grass grows all by itself. Okay. And we need to practice that a little bit every day, several times a day, and get ourselves actually into that state of well being rather than just attempting to and playing with it a little bit. No, go ahead and say, yeah, you're right. There really is no place to go. I'm okay right now. Everything is fine. Okay. Keep practicing. Keep practicing. Okay. Make sure you're taking deep breaths. So when you relax, you relax with a nice out breath, a sigh. <sighs> you know, I keep finding myself out of breath sometimes. Like, 
I don't know. It's so weird. It's like I find, I find myself out of breath. It's like. Start mindfully breathing then, taking long, deep breaths. Yes, people are generally out of breath. The reason they are is because they're in kind of shutdown mode, which is a response to fear. But now yeah. we're waking up, and part of that waking up is to take a big, deep breath. Have you ever seen a dog when they wake up? They stretch and they... <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes okay. I feel like I slow down my breath too much, like I'm like taking these deep breaths and I miss, I'm like missing my breath or something. And it feels. No, make it very long, but not, but, uh, gentle, easy going, a kind of breath that you like a most comfortable, actual big breath. Yeah. Yeah. It's as opposed to shut down shallow breathing. We're talking about. <sighs> is that I find myself, I have to do it a little bit pretty like, um, kind of rapid almost because without that it doesn't really feel comfortable for some like this like when I slow it down too much like I need to but not too much because then I am hyperventilating but okay <laughs> you say you I can do actually um you can you can use counting and that, that the, a good place to start would be four, four, two. Four breaths in count, four breaths out count, and then wait two. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, out. Sort of like that. After you get practice to where that feels really good, then you can go to a five, five, two, five counts on the in breath, five counts on the out breath. And then you would probably land up at an eight, eight, four. Eight, eight, four means about um, a count of eight, eight seconds on the in and the out plus four between is 20 seconds. So now the breathing is down to three breaths a minute. Most people breathe at 20. The shallow breathing that people are used to. And so we need to start it by at least doubling the time so that we get it down to 10. And then we do it again and get it down to about five. But four, four, two, you see, that's 10, which means now we're down to six breaths a minute. Mm. Okay. Uh, I practice a little by little, you know. Yes. And the emphasis is upon remember to enjoy it. <laughs> that this is this is comfortable. This is relaxed. This is easy, easy. Okay. Okay. That's the way to practice the breathing is long, slow, deep, and remember every in-breath, and remember every out-breath, that it's long and easy breath. And so this is the way to begin to practice. 
and we can leave those underlying tendencies to get caught and thrown out. Yeah. I guess I still find myself very conflicted with like when that confliction comes, see that as a hindrance and say, never mind that confliction. Out you go. I'm going to sit here and be okay without that. I don't need that confliction right now. That's a good point. It's mostly it, it, what it is about, though, it is about um, what to do with that. Um, with Mara or seeing, not Mara, but seeing, you know, the emotion there and then do what do the I do? The answer is you don't have to do anything with it. It's not you. It does not ruin your life. It does not rule your life. It does not make you have to be obligated to deal with that feeling. You can feel good instead if you want to. <laughs> okay. You can see that stuff as Mari. You can see it as an obstruction. So all that confusion and conflict, right from the very beginning, let us just throw all of that stuff out and actually let it be good in the beginning. Makes sense. <laughs> it really is that easy. It is. It really is that easy. It just has to be done over and over and over and over and over again because the normal tendency is to go back into the hindrances, to go back into being feelings of obligation and confusion. I've got to get this done and then I can meditate. Yeah. No, you don't have to get anything done. You can just relax right now. I get a lot of like cravings to do things, to distract myself, to eat food, to do that. I mm -hmm. mean, to, you know? When those come, you can see those as a um, an obstruction, a hindrance for you feeling good right now. Oh, I don't have to go do that. Even if I want to do it, even if I like it really a lot, I don't have to do it right now. I can take another deep breath and relax. Because that's also another underlying tendency that we'll talk about later. And that underlying tendency we're talking about now is called restlessness. 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 That that underlying tendency of fear keeps us in motion, keeps us running, keeps us jumping, keeps us hopping. And so now we're coming we're actually confronting it in a way that when that restlessness comes up and for you it comes up in the thoughts of i want to go do this and i want to go do that you can say wait a minute that's just restlessness never mind i can sit here and i can relax anyway that really i don't have to go do any of the stuff that i like to do Because often when I'm doing them, I'm not, I don't like it anyway. I get frustrated because I don't get my way while I'm doing that stuff. 
by people who like to gamble. Guess what? A lot of the times when people are gambling, they don't like things at all. They're full of great anticipation and worry about their bets. They're in great despair when they've lost. So gambling is really no fun. <laughs> well, you can think of any activities like that. It's got its ups and downs. But right now, we don't have any ups and downs. We're just nothing to do and no place to go. Everything is really nice. Yeah, that's that's a good way and of putting ups and downs. Because you do enjoy some aspects of it sometimes, but it fluctuates. It's not as, you know. Mm-hmm. As right now, I guess. <laughs> OK, so you go practice. Practice like this. Put a lot of practice in. I would recommend that you do this, let us say, 10 minutes six times a day. That'll give you a full hour in a day. And you can map out when you do it. But do it, sit down with the intention that, hey, for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to feel really good. OK. I'm going to enjoy it. Not going to let any worries come. Not going to let any hassles hassle. Okay. All I right. will. Okay. Well, we'll see you in a few days. Call okay. me back and we'll talk about how you're doing. Thank you. Have a good one. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> uh, I can't.